as part of our coverage of homelessness in the Valley. We're bringing you a KTAR News Without a Home Roundtable, hosted by Jamie West of Arizona's Morning News and ABC 15 anchor Javier Soto. Well, good afternoon. I, I don't say that very often. Usually it's good morning. Uh, really, thank you for joining us for our special coverage of our week-long series, Without a Home. It's KTAR special series on homelessness in the Valley. I am Jamie West, co-host of Arizona's Morning News, and I will be monitoring the roundtable discussion you're going to hear over the next couple of hours today, along with Valley favorite anchor Javier Soto from ABC 15. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, this is a huge issue that I believe is beyond Phoenix, although the focus right now is on the zone and the cleanup of the zone. This is an Arizona issue, and we've been covering it extensively at ABC 15, and happy to join you here to this roundtable, on this roundtable, and speak with these minds who are going to add solutions in in how we're going to fix this problem. Right. We've got to find some solution for this because it, it's almost like, and I hate to use the term perfect storm, but when you have an opioid crisis, when you have the highest inflation in the country, right, you have these crazy housing prices and rent going up astronomically over the past few years. I mean, even food prices, gas prices, we have the highest gas prices in the country. Uh some people just can't hang on, and, uh, and and that's just one of the contributing factors to to where we've what we've become. You bring it up uh, perfectly because this is a multifaceted problem, and I don't think there's one solution, but it's going to require a lot of people to get together, and hopefully, some of the people who we are speaking with today are part of that group as we try to find a solution here. So we are going to have mayors. We're going to have leaders of organizations that specifically help the homeless. We're going to have faith leaders. We're going to have people who were homeless at one time. We have a lot of people. And of course, KTAR reporters who have been uh, working on this special series that we've been airing all week here on KTAR, who have uh, uncovered some really interesting information about what's being called a crisis uh, and I had a chance to go down to the Human Services Campus in Phoenix uh, last week. Um, I haven't been down there in a while. Uh-huh. And it was encouraging in the fact that any service that a person needs to get back on their feet, they can provide on that campus. They even have a U.S. post office because a lot of the benefits and other correspondence that you receive – they need a street address. You can't use a P.O. box. So they use the street address, have a post office there at the Human Services Campus, and then they have actual mailboxes or folders for people who need them, who need to get their mail at a street address, which I thought was really cool. There's a DES office. They're putting in an MVD office. You can't do anything without an ID. You can't apply for benefits. You can't get housing. Uh, so I'm very encouraged about all the services that are there. I'm discouraged about all of the people that are outside the gates of the Human Services Campus that maybe aren't accessing those resources. Correct. So, and I know that you were actually, that that area is called the zone. I know you were down in the zone uh, visiting an artist studio, correct? Yes. Uh, We've been covering this, as I mentioned, extensively and have been covering it for months. But one of the plaintiffs in the lawsuit against the city of Phoenix uh, resides right in the middle of the zone. He owns Gallery 119. His name is Joel Copeland. And we went to get his take on the lawsuit as uh, right before the cleanup started. And we walked into this gallery and we were blown away because all along his walls in his gallery is art that depicts his reality of living and being part of the zone. And he walked us through each piece and explained how he came to that, what he saw. This was all stuff that he created through his memory and what he experienced. One of the stories he told us was one night, he also lives in his studio, he says one night uh, he looked outside and he saw something right in the middle of the road. And he thought, what is that, what is that? Meanwhile, cars were flying by it at high speeds. And he says, as he started to look closely, he thought, dear God, that's a body. That is somebody. 
So he started to walk outside, hoping he could help. He says, as he got closer, somebody walked up and happened to touch what I believe was a blanket. And he says, up pops this woman, and she just starts running and screaming. And he thought to himself, oh, that's Elizabeth, because he's gotten familiar with many of the people who live there in the zone. And he says, as bizarre as that situation was, he said, this happens all the time. He talked about extensive drug use. He talked about, and, and at one point he stopped me and he says, Javier, don't be fooled by this, that this is poverty and people who can't get back on their feet. He says, this is Arizona's biggest party. He says, whatever you want here, you want drugs, you want alcohol, you want sex. He says, it's all right here. And sadly enough, people actually come to the zone at night when this is a huge party. Um, he said, but so the other side of that, of, of talking about the drugs and the problems, he said, there are people who cannot afford to live in a place anymore. Uh, he talked about an older couple that was walking down the street the other day. Uh, he says it's a husband and he was pushing his wife in a, in a wheelchair and somebody came out of nowhere and hit him with a two by four in the side of his head. And uh, he says he was bleeding. He says there's a lot of violence. He says this is very problematic. And despite everything he's lived through, through the past five years, he says, I've tried to help a lot of these people. I have a heart for the homeless. These are my friends. These are people who I've become familiar with. And I just hope that in the solution, they do it humanely. Javier, I know that there's so much more that we could talk about with your experience there. And one of the questions I know I'm asking and a lot of people are asking is, where are the police? Well, we're going to ask that question from the city of Phoenix uh, in the next segment. But first, I want to bring in KTAR reporter Taylor Tassler. She actually kicked off our series this week, running down the numbers. Um, and, and Taylor, you did an excellent job of breaking those numbers down. I was astonished to hear some of them. What did you find? What are like the two things that you learned uh, about the homelessness situation and the numbers and the data that really blew you away? Well, so I was really tasked with looking at Maricopa County. I talked to the Maricopa Association of Governments and CAS, and some of the things through looking at the data that MAG has collected, that from 2017 until now, through their point-in-time count, we call it the pit count, homelessness in Maricopa County has raised by 70%. And they also have a quarterly trends report, which takes a more deep dive look into where homelessness is currently. And so for the month of March, March of 2023, there were 8,200 people experiencing homelessness in Maricopa County. And 15% of that population was experiencing it for the first time. So a lot of these people are experiencing homelessness for the first time. And we were talking earlier, another that kind of goes into experiencing it for the first time is the amount of seniors experiencing homelessness. Um, when I was talking to the CEO of CAS, she called it the silver tsunami, which we've all heard that term used. And a lot of seniors are not able to afford the cost of their rent or their mortgage anymore because they're on a fixed income. And that was just shocking to me when you think of your own grandparents or maybe your parents, someone who's elderly and on a fixed income, that's not something you think. And I think this is a new phenomenon that they're seeing and has gotten worse over the past couple of years. Taylor, thank you so much. Um, unfortunately, I, I was wondering, I'm like, you know, are we going to have enough to talk about here? And this, <laughs> We have so much to talk about. We're going to be doing it for the next, oh, more than hour and a half because we have some great guests coming up, too. Thank you again, Taylor Tasser. Thank you, Taylor. Uh, including, um, you know, it's one of the nation's largest homeless encampments. We're going to learn what the city of Phoenix is doing to clean it up and also how did it get to this point, right? We're going to break down a timeline of how we got to this point. You are listening to Without a Home, a KTAR special roundtable discussion on homelessness in the Valley. And we'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm Jamie West, co-host of Arizona's Morning News on KTAR. And I'm Javier Soto with ABC 15. Uh, we are joined right now by Rachel Milne. She's the director of the City of Phoenix Office of Homeless Solutions, as well as Cleo N. Lewis. He is uh, the CEO and founder of Cleo N. Lewis Ministries. He's a former Phoenix police officer who ended up addicted 
and experienced homelessness has an incredible story that you have to hear. We thank you both for joining us today. I think it's going to be an awesome perspective from somebody who once served as a police officer, was also experiencing homelessness, and somebody from the city of Phoenix who is tasked with helping find solutions to this problem. But first, I think we need to look at how we got here. And I know that ABC 15 has been putting together uh, quite a timeline on this. Can you... Can you condense it a little bit for us, Javier? I I will. And it all starts back in 2005, and that's when the Human Services Campus started. Uh, That was back in 2005, and we're going to speak with Richard Cruz a little later on what they do because they do some incredible work. But our court documents state prior to 2018, there were some limited homelessness in that area, but there were no tents or no semi-permanent encampments that we see now. Now, also in 2018 to 2019, court documents show the city changed its enforcement policy and decreased enforcement of criminal health and other quality of life statutes, and that allowed the zone to grow. Now, did, did you find out why that happened? Yes, yes. It all has to do uh, with a case from the Supreme Court, and this is uh, the Martin case. This is Martin versus the city of Boise, and from that case, uh, the city misinterpreted what that case was, and so therefore were told that they could not uh, enforce some of those rules with the people living in those encampments. Is that correct, Rachel? Um, Well, I'm not an attorney, I'll say that to start, so I'm not really comfortable talking about the case law. I'll just say we're at a point where we don't have enough shelter space for everyone experiencing homelessness, certainly not unsheltered people experiencing homelessness. And so that's really where we saw the increase in the people obviously coming down to to receive services at the Human Services Campus, which houses our largest shelter in the state, CAS. Um, but when that shelter is, is full and all of our other shelters are full, where else can people go? You're exactly right. And that's where it started uh, back then. Uh, So that kind of gets us to now uh, where we had the lawsuit against the city of Phoenix uh, from some business owners, some residents uh, who said back in 2020 they had approached the city of Phoenix with some solutions and trying to solve the problem as they saw the homelessness escalating in that area. And uh, And I know we have a court order for the cleanup uh, uh, July 10th. Is a deadline to at least make a good amount of progress on that. But why why wait until a court order? Why? And I know a lot of people are asking this, Rachel. Why didn't you start sooner? Sure. And I'll just I'll just say I I would really like to. Um, uh, have people understand that the city of Phoenix did not wait until this court order in order to do something. The the area around the Human Services Campus has been a very high priority for not only the city of Phoenix, Maricopa County, our entire homeless service system has been focused on this area for quite some time. I'll also say in 2022, really to address the unsheltered uh, people experiencing homelessness within the region, but specifically around the campus, the city and its partners brought on 600 new shelter beds. We have over 900 in the queue right now, and it's all an effort to really address that emergency situation. It is not safe to be unsheltered in the city of Phoenix or anywhere in Maricopa County, uh, whether it's the summer or not. It's just right. not, it's not safe. We have to to do better. We have to increase shelter capacity. We have to help prevent people from becoming homeless in the first place. And we have to help people exit quickly into housing once they do. And let me ask you this. And and again, I commend you for what you guys are doing out there, because this is an enormous problem. And you guys are just scratching the service, uh, surface. And when I spoke with Mayor Kate Gallego from the city of Phoenix a couple weeks ago, uh, she explained, although right now the attention is on Phoenix, uh, this is not a Phoenix problem. This is an Arizona problem. And she said she needs partners in this and is reaching out to other municipalities to step up. My and question, that's because all of the services are centered in Phoenix at right that there. Human Services campus. So people from other cities and other parts of Arizona happen to be coming to the downtown Phoenix area to get that help, correct? Well, I'll just say um, certainly the the 
that's the largest shelter within the Arizona within the state of Arizona is CAS uh, at the Human Services Campus. There are are seventeen partners at the Human Services Campus providing services, but there are shelters and services um, around Maricopa County as well that that we partner with and that we uh, that we work with. Um, but certainly, that is the largest and the 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 one of the the few places where you can walk up and receive services. Definitely. Thank you, Rachel. Um, Cleo. Thank you for joining us as well, because I I think you have an incredible story um, of the fall from grace and then what you did with that experience to help your fellow man. And can you just give us just a brief description of of what happened to you that put you in this position of helping the homeless? Oh, wow. In the middle parts of 1980, so to speak, I was a career police officer. And the last thing that anyone could ever tell me this, I would be homeless. Uh, But through a culmination of things that happened in my life, I had an undercover assignment that went completely bad. I was forced to use drugs. I ended up addicted. And I lost my job. I was imprisoned. And as a result of that imprisonment, I couldn't reestablish and get my life back together. And despite anything that I could do, I ended up homeless in broken marriage, in bitter, heartbroken, and I ended up going to a VA program since I'm a veteran, and they told me, you're going to go to the Human Services Campus, you're going to go check in the CAS. And as a result of going through that veterans program, it was an intensive outpatient treatment program that was at the VA. I was able to start to recollect my life, but it started with a simple thing, uh, that a case manager did. She treated me with a level of dignity that caused me to grab myself and uh, decide that, you know, it's time to make some changes. All right, we are going to get back to your story, and then we want some interaction between you and Rachel, somebody who's formerly homeless, somebody who's trying to find homeless solutions, and, and I would love to hear you two talk about what your challenges were, Cleo, what would have helped you the most, and how the city of Phoenix is better equipped now, or will they be better equipped to handle those challenges? Uh, we are talking to Rachel Milney, director of the city of Phoenix of Office uh, Office of Homeless Solutions, and also Cleo Lewis of Cleo Lewis Ministries, who's a former Phoenix police officer who experienced homelessness. And what you're listening to is Without a Home, a KTAR special roundtable discussion. I'm Jamie West, along with Javier Soto, and we will be right back. A KTAR News special presentation, Without a Home Roundtable, with Jamie West and Javier Soto. Welcome back and thanks for listening as we search for solutions to what's being called a homeless crisis in the Valley and across Arizona and joining us right now. Oh, by the way, uh, seated next to me is ABC 15 anchor Javier Soto. Thank you so much for coming in and and being a part of this. Thanks for having me. Good afternoon to everyone. We have with us uh, Rachel Milney, the director of the City of Phoenix Office of Homeless Solutions, and Cleo Lewis of Cleo and Lewis Ministries, a former police officer who found himself homeless and is now helping people on the streets this morning. And and Cleo, you were sharing your, your story about um, how you became addicted to drugs, ended up in prison, actually. And then once you had that record, had a very difficult time uh, finding shelter uh, and a job and um, it, it was very tough for you. Now, what helped you the most when it came to getting off of the streets? Was there a specific service that was provided or that you wish you had had? Well, I had the benefit of probably, even in the worst situation, I described myself as probably one of the worst people that ever needed resources. And I had probably the greatest need to get help. And what it is, is something has to kick in from the inside uh, that says, you know, now is the time and I have to go for what I had at the time that I needed. Uh, I was at CAS for a year. Now, from the changes, they can do the same thing in less than two to three months. Uh, with what the city of Phoenix can do with their Office of Homeless Solutions, uh, 
they can do the same thing sometimes that day. And you are sitting next to the director of that office right now. Rachel, tell me a little bit. Now, you came from the Maricopa County um, office. Of, it was at Homeless Solutions or... I was actually with the Maricopa County Human Services Department. I was over their community and uh, uh, housing and community development division over there. So you've been dealing with this situation for a long time. Yes, I was six years there and now one year at the city of Phoenix. And and what are you seeing as your biggest challenges with trying to help people out of their situations? So I think from from our perspective, uh, the biggest challenge right now is there are just so, so many people. Um, the thing we're focused on uh, primarily at the city is unsheltered homelessness, certainly. We know we need to spend some time on prevention services, and we know we need to spend some time on affordable housing solutions, uh, which our housing department is on top of. But right now, we're really focused on people that are in that crisis situation, people that need emergency shelter and need an indoor place to be. So that's one of our biggest challenges is, is creating more indoor places to be, especially uh, going back to your question earlier, Javier, um, as we work to really help people outside the Human Services Campus in that very large encampment. So I think the big question right now, uh, Rachel, for the city of Phoenix is as you approach that deadline of July 10th, uh, you've done two cleanups already. Uh, I'm counting 70-something people who you've already helped. We spoke with the Human Services Campus the day before you started that cleanup. They counted upwards of 800 people who were unsheltered in the zone. Can you meet that deadline? And the second question that I hear often is, can you house away this problem? If you move these people into shelters, hotels, motels, wherever you move them to, does that solve this issue that appears to be multifaceted? Sure. So, so to answer your first question, um, uh, the July 10th date, I, I believe that the wording is we have to have show material compliance with that order by that time. And, and I'll just say, yes, we've done two engagement efforts where we've closed down blocks to camping um, that have been wildly successful uh, with an 80 percent acceptance rate of, of when we are offering services such as shelter or treatment services. Um, that's that's a huge acceptance rate. So we're very pleased about that. But, but we have been doing this work for quite some time. Uh, we started these enhanced engagement efforts actually back in December. So we did five of them uh, prior to the two where we closed down blocks, and we saw equally as as successful efforts there. So, so we are we are making material compliance. We are working our way. We we do have to take our time and be really coordinated with other um, groups like Clio's groups, with other nonprofit organizations, with our shelters to make sure that we are able to offer people in the areas that we're focusing. We're make sure that we're offering appropriate services. And so to answer your second question, um, can we house away this um, the, this problem? We have to get people indoors as a very first step. And then from there, we have to trust our, our partners and our, our nonprofits in this community, our faith community, to help people uh, move on to the next step, which is ultimately their own housing. We have to do that. And th- this has to be a first step as people move into their own housing solutions. Rachel, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you being here with us today. I know how busy you are, especially with what we're dealing with, what we're talking about today with this roundtable. Uh, Rachel Nildy, the director of the City of Phoenix Office of Homeless Solutions with us. Um, also, Cleo Lewis from Cleo Lewis Ministries, who's helping people get off of the streets. We're going to hear more from him as well as uh, we have Mesa Mayor John Giles coming in with us after and- the break. So keep it here on KTAR. You're listening to Without a Home, a KTAR special roundtable discussion on homelessness in the Valley. We'll be right back. This is a KTAR News special. Without a Home Roundtable on the KTAR News app and 92.3. And I am Jamie West from Arizona's Morning News. And joining me is ABC 15 news anchor Javier Soto. We're having such an incredibly important and interesting conversation with so many of the leaders addressing the homeless uh, problem that we're having here in the Valley. And I have learned, I don't know about you, Javier, but I have learned so much. And one thing that I have learned is how much effort is going in from all sides, from you know the private sector to the public sector to the faith sector to try and find solutions here and still, with all the help that's available out there, we're dealing with what we're dealing with. And, and that basically speaks to 
the enormity of this problem. Right. And uh, like Rachel Milne said earlier, we've been working at this for a long time, but you have so many organizations partnering and helping. Everybody is just overwhelmed and it's too much. It is too much. And uh, joining us right now is Cleo Lewis from Cleo Lewis Ministries. He is a former Phoenix police officer who also experienced homelessness and now is helping the people out on the streets right now. Uh, We have with us Mesa Mayor John Giles, who is talking about the success his city has been having with some of the programs they're doing. And also now joining us is Richard Cruz, who is the program director of the Human Services Campus which is right there in downtown Phoenix. Uh, you, It is ground zero, right? Absolutely. Uh, and Thanks so thank you. Me. Thank you, Richard, for joining us. Uh, Mayor Giles, what are some of the things that your city is doing that you think um, would be worth other cities taking a look at? Um, well, I, I have a lot of respect and admiration for what's going on in downtown Phoenix, and, and, and certainly Mesa does not have this figured out, you know, but uh, but we are uh, trying really hard. And, and I think it's important, again, that we take a regional approach to this. For, for years, uh, we've let that Phoenix, you know, bear the brunt of this and as the central city. And as folks have become homeless in other parts of the valley, they end up in downtown Phoenix because that's where the services are. And so all of the communities in Maricopa County have to to own this. Uh, we all have to find what we can do to be complementary and, and help one another and uh, realize that we all need to be part of the solution. So that's what we've done in Mesa. That we talked about the community court program, the off-the-streets program, where we also – we have our own – uh, strategic plan for homelessness, and and uh, you know there's things that we need to be better to, to, to some. Of, we have some holes still in our safety net. Transitional housing is something that we need to, to increase in the city of Mesa. So we're working with a new leaf at the East Valley um, uh, Men's Shelter uh, there at the Country Club and the River Bottom to increase transitional housing. We're also putting out an RFP for other nonprofits to help us develop more of that type of housing that helps us you know uh, find a place for people that are making progress in their life. They're not service resistant and and they're, we need to move them out of that emergency shelter into a, a, a less restrictive uh, environment, but they're still not quite ready for maybe affordable housing. But, you know, it, it's a continuum of going from step A to B to C. And and so we have a, a great chart and we're, we're making sure that we th- those charts are actually services that we're able to provide. And, and it's interesting to note, too, that the cities themselves can't bear the burden of this. It's it, taking a tremendous effort on the part Part of nonprofits and the community to partner together with the city, right? Right. I, th- I think everybody has to ask themselves, what can we do? For example, EBIT, you know, a great technical uh, uh, high school in, in Mesa, it, they are constructing student housing for the aging out foster uh, kids in our community that a, a lot, as you know, statistically, those that's a group that's very much at risk for homelessness. And so I think every where you're, you know, lift where you stand, Find, look, look at the opportunities in, in your area of influence uh, to, to, have, to be of, of assistance here. Yeah, that uh, foster care system is a whole nother uh, issue unto itself. When they turn 18, they're handed a bag with their belongings and uh, basically told to go. Uh, I want to turn my attention to Richard. Uh, you said you've been at the Human Services Campus for three years now. How have you seen the problem escalate? So I got there June 1st of 2020, so right in the midst of the pandemic. And the whole world is different in that particular space. But what we've been able to, what we've seen is with the rising cost to live in uh, in the Metro Phoenix area, uh, we're definitely seeing at the same time uh, homelessness increases, and that's because we've 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 changed the conversation on who is homeless. And what I mean by that is, is that um, Phoenix was largely a place where what you would experience when it comes to homelessness was like this stereotypical, uh, maybe it's addiction, maybe it's mental health, maybe it's, but, but it's the bottom. Right. And what, what I'm getting now is I'm getting calls from uh, families that are living in their cars, right, where, where outreach workers are having to ask the question, do I deal with the chronically homeless or do I deal with this population that just became homeless, right, that may not be on anybody's count because they're functioning day to day in in society. But then also having this conversation then where I'm getting calls from principals about uh, teachers who are living in the park, Right. Or are living in their teacher's lounge where they just found out about this, but they don't want anybody to know. 
right? Like so, so it 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 is a very different conversation. On top of that, then you've got uh, this 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 swelling population of of individuals. So three years ago, you've got roughly two hundred and fifty people outside of the campus unsheltered in the in the peak of the summer, right? Now. Three years later, uh, that number is 810 plus the uh, 900 or so, well, the 700 or so people that are um, sheltering day in and day out on the campus. So the numbers are just higher than they've ever been. We only have about a minute left. And I do want to ask that question that uh, we were asking earlier. Do you think the homeless should have a choice whether they want to live on the streets or they need to be housed? I think you get a choice. And so if you get a choice in terms of where you want to live, why doesn't everybody else get a choice? Now, in the same vein, we can acknowledge that there are safety um, conditions that, 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 that also um, exist with, 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 within that. But America is based on choice. And so if it's based on choice, then we, have, we, 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 we can't just say that people should be restricted in that particular way. All right. That's fair enough. Uh, we are going to break. We will continue this conversation. You're listening to Without a Home, a KTAR special roundtable discussion on homelessness here in the Valley. We'll be right back. As part of our coverage of homelessness in the Valley, we're bringing you a KTAR News Without a Home roundtable hosted by Jamie West of Arizona's Morning News and ABC 15 anchor Javier Soto. Wow, thanks for joining us again today. You know, Javier, yesterday's roundtable, I was a little nervous about. I didn't know how it was going to go or what we were going to learn or if we'd, you know, make any progress towards finding some solutions. I had such a great time learning all the different aspects from the guests that we had on yesterday um, and things that it was just inspiring to listen to what their missions are as well. Oh, we learned. We learned a lot. It was very eye-opening and people from different aspects of this problem and more importantly, those who are working toward a solution. And I think what was interesting, uh, one of the big takeaways was uh, this problem exists not because of the lack of effort. There are tons of people working toward solutions toward this problem. However, uh, they all admitted they're overwhelmed. Right, right. It, the problem has grown so big uh, along with our state and along with housing prices, uh, the prices for necessities, food, gas. I mean, it's just impossible to keep up. And it happens so quickly that now we're just trying to find, you know, throw things at it to try and uh, to try and at least ease it a little bit. And thank goodness we have so many wonderful nonprofits and other organizations out there that are willing to carry a lot of that load. But we had guests on yesterday that included uh, people from the Human Resources Campus. Um, who else did we have on yesterday? Uh, we had, we had uh, a gentleman who started a ministry who was a former Phoenix police officer then ended up addicted, ended up on the streets, and was helped by Cass. Uh, we also, Mesa Mayor John Giles was met, on with us. And he had an interesting perspective, right. saying that initially uh, they felt that they were convicting and arresting those people for being poor when they realized that was not uh, working toward the solution. And now they've flipped that upside down. And uh, they've had some successful programs coming out of Mesa. And I'm really excited today because... Unfortunately, a lot of people were pointing the fingers at our state capitol building, saying it's got to start there. Uh, and I thought, well, perfect, because we have two state senators on with us today, right? Yeah. And one of the key takeaways, and, and it was interesting the way they said it, they said um, the policy does not match the problem. And that's what's hard to keep up with the problem as it continues to escalate. So we are fortunate to be joined right now uh, by Senator Catherine Miranda, a Democrat whose uh, district actually is part of the zone, uh, as well as Republican Senator John Kavanaugh. And uh, we thank you very much, both of you. We know you're very busy for taking the time because, again, it's going to take a lot of people uh, to find solutions. And it's not one solution. It's a multitude of layers of solutions. So thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. And that is our goal, is to try and talk about some solutions, you know, see where we can go, get people talking to each other. And 
And Senator Kavanaugh, I know that you have already introduced two bills uh, dealing with the homeless situation. Can you tell me about those bills and and what happened to them? Sure. Uh, Well, the first bill would have made it statewide illegal for people to erect tents or similar structures in roadways and rights of way. Um, And the second bill would have required uh, any municipality or government entity which permits an encampment either in their streets or on their property uh, to maintain, uh, to enforce basic hygiene laws so you don't have the pollution of the zone and to provide based upon the size of the people there uh, certain a certain number of porta potties and showers and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, my goal was basically to to deter municipalities from allowing these things to develop because of the extra steps they would have to take. Uh, I was hoping that they would choose a more reasonable approach like getting hotel space or, 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 or more structured uh, supervised space. Uh, but knowing that a lot of them won't, wouldn't do that, I, I at least wanted to stop people from wallowing in their own feces, which is exactly what's happening in the zone. I mean, the zone is a disaster area. Uh, I think somebody on, your, uh, on the roundtable yesterday called it dystopian. It is, it's like something from a weird science fiction movie. Uh, I mean, there's crime, there's debauchery. Uh, it is horrible. And the fact that, that Phoenix allows it to exist is, uh, I can't understand that at all. Well, that's one of the comments that one of our guests made yesterday is you guys drive by it every day yeah. going to work, right? That is You've correct. seen it grow over the past couple of years. Uh, when, when was the first legislation introduced that actually uh, began to address the issue? In terms of the zone itself? Yes. Uh, well, this year, this year, uh, I think it really came to a head this year uh, with the lawsuit, with the exposure uh, to the public of the horrible burden it's placing on the businesses and even a couple of residents in that area uh, and the environmental you know, havoc. And then that caused more news coverage, you know, where, where we, you know, a, a, a burnt body in a dumpster, a, a, you know, a, a fetus in, in the street. Yeah, it's just horrible, and it's got to be eradicated quickly. And I, I, quite frankly, I don't think Phoenix is is doing enough to get rid of it. I, I think they're 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 hanging their hat on the federal lawsuit as an excuse not to clear it out, uh, and that's not correct. And that's not correct. As the person from the Goldwater Institute, who was a guest yesterday, said. Just because the judge says that you can't clear somebody from a, from sleeping in, in in public, right? That doesn't mean that they can pitch their tent any place they want. Uh, and that's what's happening here. In, in speaking uh, with Mayor Kate Gallego uh, a few weeks back, uh, she pointed out that they're doing what they can. However, pointed that this is not only a Phoenix problem, this is an Arizona problem. And I think if you go around Arizona, you'll see encampments not as big as what we see in the zone, only because the Human Services Campus draws a lot of that because the resources are right there. So uh, again, they pointed to uh, the state capitol, and I know with some of your measures that you introduced, they were characterized as anti-homeless. Was that... Do you consider yourself anti-homeless? Well, I mean, I passed a bill that said if if a government entity has a homeless encampment on their their publicly owned streets or on a private... property which they own publicly, right? And they're going to allow it there. You have to give these people toilets, uh, a portable shower. You have to uh, have sanitation. So if that's anti-homeless, then we live in a totally topsy-turvy world. Aren't they're the anti-homeless people by letting people live in squalor. Are you requ- aren't you required to have a certain amount of porta potties and things for any type of large gathering with permits from the city Correct. of Phoenix anyway? Yes. Okay. All right. We are talking to uh, Senator John Kavanaugh and Senator Catherine Miranda is here. She, her district includes the zone. And we want you to, to join us in this conversation when we come back, because you have a very interesting story to tell also about the break you took from the Senate and what brought you back. That's all coming up here on KTAR next. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. I'm Javier, joined by Jamie West. Uh, We are joined by Republican Senator John Kavanaugh, as well as Democratic Senator Catherine Miranda. And I want to start with you, Catherine, uh, uh, Senator Miranda. 
I read an article, and you were quoted as saying, after going into the zone personally and witnessing what was going on there, you realized you were part of the problem. Can you explain that? Yes. Um, as we mentioned earlier, we are just a couple of blocks as a state capital away from this crisis. And for many years, four years in the House, four years in the Senate, we all just drive up and down Washington and Jeff- Jefferson passing the problem. Um, I took off four to five years, and when I finally drove back in the area of the Capitol, I was just uh, overwhelmed by how it quadrupled since I had left the Capitol. And that immediate day, I decided I'm going to run my campaign. I cannot ignore this problem anymore. And it's not perception. We, it's reality. We are a couple of blocks away from the problem. We're the decision makers. We have the power to get things done. But it is a complex issue. There's many, many reasons why people are, are homeless. Uh, the top ones are housing, of course, um, the drug addiction, the alcohol addiction. We need housing for that population that's not addicted. We need treatment for people that are addicted. Those are two huge problems right there. And everyone's trying to find one silver bullet to this crisis, and we can't do that anymore. It is multifaceted. And speaking of the housing, um, you actually introduced a Senate bill regarding affordable housing. Tell us about that. Well, I initially came to the, the, the Senate thinking, I'm going to create this omnibus bill. I want to create a seamless system with no gaps to address homelessness and addiction. And I had in mind, we're going to need a billion dollars. And as soon as I said that to <laughs> my colleague here, he laughed. <laughs> because that, that, that was after you revived me with <laughs> ammonia amyl. But, uh, you know, I told myself, later they're all going to realize it's probably going to cost more than that because it is multifaceted. So it went down to $155 million. I approached the appropriations chair here, uh, Senator Kavanaugh. He, we did work well together on getting the bill moving. He asked me to take out all the new programs that were in my bill and only keep the existing ones. So I did that. I was able to get it heard in appropriations. It passed. It got cowed. It got third read. It was moving. And then it stalled in the House. Um, at, the end of the, at the end of the day, I had to negotiate in the budget. The bill died. But it, it was a solution. It was a, a part of the solution. And um, we ended up with $60 million, $20 million for emergency right now, what's going on in the zone, and other cities. Uh, I believe it's Scottsdale, Tempe, Mesa, and Phoenix. Uh, well, Scott, uh, Tempe, Mesa, um, they, they each got a million, and I believe the city got $13 million with the emergency funds. There's the Bible stuff, too. Yes. Were they earmarked with where specifically that money had to go? And that's my next um, job to do is to keep the accountability. We need to follow the money. We need to make sure that it's being put in areas that we see change happening, and that's not happening right now. What is the one thing that we can do right now to ease some of the problem? Well, that's it's, not going to take. I mean, we heard from Jocelyn yesterday. Um, and the housing is going to be like three to five years before we get enough housing built, affordable housing. Yes, and that's only for one population of the homeless. So, right. The, um, I think we need to look at the big picture. And we need to have a ground, a solid ground first of compassion. If we care about this issue, if we have compassion for it, that's our solid foundation to get started. Because if you don't have compassion from the beginning, you don't care. So I'm trying to find compassionate, consistent people that will work with me and not tell me, oh, Catherine, they just need to get up and go get a job. Oh, let's just put them in jail. There's crime going on. Of well, course there's crime going on, going on. One thing I hope we have helped open people's eyes about is who it is that's on the street. We've had a 20% rise yes. over the past year of veterans. Mm-hmm. 
uh, who are now homeless in Maricopa County. The rise of senior citizens who are now homeless is absolutely astonishing. The silver because, tsunami is what they're called. Yes, because and of our, the fixed incomes that can't keep up with everything else just, you know, rising in prices so high. Right. And our youth coming out of our foster yes. care system. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what the legislature does not want to hear is that we need money. We do need money. We need more money because we have phenomenal providers out there doing a, a good job, but they've ran out of resources. Right. And they need help. So what we've done is I've tried on two occasions to bring all the providers together in one room just to introduce each other, to find commonalities amongst each other. And now the city has... Um, done that several times, and I see progress with that. So they are now connected together and working. But at the end of the day, we need money. We need to extend their services. They need the resources. We have addiction out there. We've got about 30 seconds, yeah, Senator. On the topic of money, in addition to the $60 million that uh, Senator Miranda Champion <clears throat> In 20, this year's budget, $150 million to the Housing Trust Fund, $7 million for correctional transition programs, $5 million for homeless veterans, and that's on top of ongoing every year expenditures, $2.5 million for the Department of Economic Security for homeless services, $14 million for uh, domestic violence relocation programs for women and families, that $28 million for access subsidized rents for the mentally ill, $180 million in federal money dedicated to general housing, uh, and $91 million of ARPA funds that are also spent, and I don't know how much local and county money which is also spent. So there is a lot of money being spent, but it's a difficult problem. I, I was just going to ask you, so what you're saying is the money is there, uh, are the programs, are they not, is the money not being directed to the right programs or, or how is it being misused if it's being okay. misused well, or, it, or are they overwhelmed? It, is it not enough? It depends on what you talk, who you're talking about in homelessness. There's the street homeless, right, which is one population which has a lot of mentally ill, seriously mentally ill people and a lot of people addicted to drugs. And then there are people who can't afford housing. They're two totally separate issues, uh, and not all the answers to the uh, lack of housing one are, are solved with state money. So this is a roundtable. We are going to be bringing in one of those service providers, Lisa Glow, the CEO of Central Arizona Shelter Services, next as our roundtable continues. Uh, KTA, our special Without a Home. We'll be right back. For more of our continuing coverage of homelessness in the Valley, go to ktar.com homeless. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're listening because uh, you're really going to want to turn up your radio for the next few minutes. Joining us, Senator John Kavanaugh, Republican, Senator Catherine Miranda, a Democrat. And now joining us also, Lisa Glow is at the table. She is the CEO of Central Arizona Shelter Services right there on the Human Services campus. Uh, They have been serving the Valley's homeless for decades and uh, we're going to have a very interesting conversation here. We were talking off the air a little bit about um, this being an emergency situation, basically. I know it's been called a crisis, but Lisa, you had a great analogy. Sure. So one of the areas I've been talking about for a long time is the rise in senior homelessness. We've been calling it the silver tsunami. And then I started thinking, we really have a hurricane of homelessness, not just with our seniors. And if we had a hurricane here in Phoenix, unlikely as that is, what would be the response? We'd have a federal response. We'd have tents put up. I'm telling you, we have thousands of people on the streets. I think it's time to call for a much bigger state of response, which is going to take coordination at all levels of government. Some of that is already starting to happen in significant ways between the state, county, and cities. But we need to do more. And I know that Senator Miranda has been calling for the same thing. Yeah, and and in that conversation, we talked about you at one point uh, said that this should be declared a national emergency. What kind of feedback did you get? Where did it go from there? Yes, I did try. um, But unfortunately, the ideology in the legislature gets in the way. Some people don't think it is. and, And it's my job as a politician, so to speak, to try to find commonality that agrees. I wish the whole legislature would take a tour through the through the, the zone, sit with the homeless, look at them in their eyes, and and maybe they'll be more convinced. 
but a lot of them are afraid. I've talked to legislators that said, oh, no, I won't go there. It's too dangerous. So they just ignore the, the crisis. Um, but we are in a state of an emergency, and we need to look at it that way. Senator, Senator Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. <laughs> <laughs> I can see he wants to talk about this. All have, fingers, have, all have you fingers been to the point zone? to Senator Kavanaugh. That's have you, okay. Have you personally have, been yes. to the zone? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I, like I said, as I said during the break, I was a poor authority cop back in the 80s in New York. Uh, I was in a bus terminal. Hundreds of homeless people. And, and that's street homeless. And the solution there has to be around uh, drug addiction and mental illness. We probably need to change our mental illness laws to allow uh, people to be taken into custody who have serious mental illness and can't take care of themselves and to be forced into some sort of structured programs. Uh, In terms of the drug addicts, quite frankly, we can provide all the treatment that we want. But if you're going to allow them to live unsupervised in tents and shoot up all they want, they'll never – seek uh, help. So you need a combination of, of a carrot and a stick for them. To that and, point, yeah. though, to that point, no one is allowing anybody to do anything. The city has their um, setbacks. They need time. They need money. We have our problems here at the state where we can't agree that this is a crisis. Um, the compassion is definitely not there in the legislature. And as you speak as a law enforcement officer, yes, that's a piece of the solution. We need law enforcement to be at the table, but we can't just think as a law officer because then it becomes um, taking away rights of people that are homeless. I would just say that as the guest on yesterday's show who has an art store test testified to, there's rampant drug use, and it's being permitted by the police. There's no enforcement. There's sex on the street. And these people like that, and they're not going to voluntarily move when you make what that is exactly what they want. They've got to be forced out with law enforcement. They've got a carrot and a stick. You've got to push them into, into getting the treatment they need or go to a jail cell. And, and are we just you moving that- the problem? From one block to another? No, we're moving the problem to a jail cell that they refuse to behave, and, to and take that's treatment. Not the, so, can I, that's not the solution is well, a jail cell because addiction is actually a disease and they need to be treated and it takes time. To throw them in jail and, and have them detox in jail, which the maximum amount that they're going to be in there is 30 days. Okay, I wanna, it's very but, but dangerous. Just, it's the carrot and the stick. The threat of jail is the stick. The carrot is, if you don't want to go to jail, we'll get you into a structured program with the help that you need. Can, Can I, I ask jump a in real here? question? Let's Lisa, let's Let me jump Lisa in, in here, here because while I have these two esteemed senators, I must say something about where we want to continue to see positive forward motion at the legislature, which we saw this year, and we're grateful for the bipartisan support to get that over $235 million into the budget. But how we got here and our solutions forward have to be part of our thinking. We have a housing crisis, and yes, it's going to take years to build housing. We can't build our way out. So in the meantime, we have to open more emergency shelter beds, which Phoenix and other cities are working on doing as quickly as possible, and we're working on doing. We have to do with transitional housing, but I would like us also to reform our eviction laws. It is far too easy to get evicted in this state, and there are some pieces of legislation I would love to see pushed forward. Secondly, and this is a really controversial one, is rent control, but why not do it for our seniors and people with disabilities so that they can remain in their homes? Because we're seeing seniors, people with disabilities, and lots of families being evicted. So start there. They do that in New York City. So let's have some common sense things to keep people in their homes. Let's talk about the numbers. Uh, yes. The median rent for a one-bedroom apartment in Arizona uh, in the month of February was $1,345. That's according to Zumper's monthly analysis. And we're uh, going to talk more about this, uh, about the families that are being priced out, the working poor, and about the seniors on fixed incomes who can no longer afford gas, medication, rent, uh, food, We're going to talk about all of those things coming up after the break. We will be right back. We have been having a lively discussion here during this roundtable. Joining us right now is Senator John Kavanaugh. We also have Pamela Williams, the founder of Journey Out of Homelessness, and she speaks from experience, as well as Lisa Glow, CEO of Central Arizona Shelter Services. One thing we wanted to touch on was uh, Section 8 housing and the vouchers. Uh, We heard yesterday that uh, they're having a hard time um, placing people in Section 8 housing because a lot of landlords don't want to accept the vouchers because they can get more money on the free market. 
Um, is that, I, I know, Pamela, you said you've had several calls from people who, once they did find someone who would accept it, then asked for even more fees on top of it? Yes. Yes, a young young lady with children. She had a voucher, and she said she was calling us because she needed um, first month and last month rent to move in with her Section 8 voucher. Senator, is that something that can be addressed at the state level as far as crediting landlords or making the vouchers, uh, you know, at least uh, fair market value? Well, obviously you can't expect a landlord to agree to rent some, uh, an apartment to somebody for less than, than than the market value. You're basically saying, donate the money to us. And I also, I'm not a landlord, I never have been, but I don't fault the landlord for wanting a security deposit. I mean, what happens if the people leave and the place is trashed? You know, the government's not going to step in to pay. So if those are the issues, then the government needs to increase the cost of the vouchers and the government needs to be the one that provides the security deposit. You just can't ask a, a, a landlord to, to do that kind of an expense. It's not is that fair. something is this, we can do on the state level? Or is uh, that federal? I think it's federal. Section 8. No. Lisa. I'd, I'd like to weigh in here. So one of the things we do at CAS is we have flexible assistance for people who need a one-time hand up. And so we do sometimes help with that initial deposit. It, we have uh, some restrictions um, in amounts that we have, but we're always raising money for that program. But what I really wanted to say is the governor has convened the Homeless and Housing Task Force. Last time we had one of those was under Governor Napolitano. I was in her administration, was involved in the oversight of that. And I am hopeful that these kind of issues can get addressed there. What's it really going to take to solve it? So someone gets a Section 8 voucher and then they have to come up with $5,000? So there, that doesn't do anything. Um, I know there are programs also to help with landlord assistance if a home has been trashed, and we do have that happen. And we sign certain assurances. So we do everything as a provider to make sure people can stay in their homes, and we do everything we can to get them in their homes, even though resources are not always what we need to make that happen. So lots of barriers, but... I think we can come to consensus on solutions and then figure out how to fund it if it's state, federal, get private match. There's a lot of private corporations who have a lot of skin in the game and they're stepping forward. It's everybody's issue. And I know you're well, on the ground level here and you have one of the top Republicans in the state right next to you. What is it that they can do on uh, the legislature as a legislature as a whole? that you're missing where they could help this situation? Well, as I said earlier, there was a lot done this last session in this one-time support. I think it's time to have a deeper conversation and come to figure out what we can do going forward. We do need ongoing rental assistance for people. During the pandemic, we had a lot more flexible assistance. And I will tell you right now, we ran out of that funding in our uh, one of our key programs, and we had to put it on pause for a couple of months. And a lot of people ended up and on the streets. We've now raised the dollars, can get back to doing that. So we, it's our obligation as providers, both Pamela and I, to educate the, the legislators on what we need. So rental assistance, ongoing permanent rental assistance is one thing. And it can be a one-time hand up uh, or whatnot. We're going to have to keep building the affordable housing. Um, we have to do everything we can to get people off the streets. I believe you have to look at the cost efficiencies of those models. So uh, permanent supported housing where people pay a certain percentage of the rent, we need to build more of that. And people are contributing what they can afford. A lot of those people are working. So it's multiple levels. And I think we um, are going to find the consensus. Yeah. We have about well, one minute. Okay. How? I, I, look, not all of the problem can be solved with the housing voucher. We have this problem for a lot of reasons. Illegal immigration. There is 20 to 30 million illegal immigrants in this country, disproportionately in Arizona. They're, they're taking up housing space. If we had border security and enforcement, you'd have a lot more housing from them. You've got short-term rental disaster, where, where the legislature, against my vote, said people can turn their homes into short-term hotels. That has decimated housing stock for people uh, who need, you know, full-time, full you know, not short-term, but long-term housing. Inflation. All the crazy federal spending made inflation go through the roof. That's the reason why the, the rents are a lot higher than they are. Gentrification. 
You know, I, I used to travel along Apache Boulevard when I taught at ASU. All along there before light rail, there were low-income houses and hotels and motels. It's totally gentrified now. Those people were pushed out. Excessive mandates for, for construction. You know, extra extra money for green, fire sprinklers. That makes it more more uh, more costly too to build a home. And and the the solution of overriding local zoning and putting apartments and and packing houses into residential zones didn't fly at the legislature because people don't want their their zoning upset like that. You know, and they should have done it more reasonably, like maybe saying you can convert, convert industrial and commercial areas into it. You're listening to Without a Home, a KTAR special roundtable discussion on homelessness here in the Valley. For more of our continuing coverage of homelessness in the Valley, go to ktar.com slash homeless.